Okay, it's October. We all know what that means, right? When October starts coming around, and does this happen in your neighborhood? The decorations start coming out. Maybe this is you. Maybe this is your favorite time. Maybe you've started to see these kinds of things. Um, um, my wife and I were on a walk on Saturday, and we all of a sudden saw this giant. I mean, the thing was as big as that cross. It was a giant skeleton thing in the yard. And I thought, how did they even put that up? It was huge. Yeah, I, people go all out for this. I, do they in, in your, your neighborhood? I, people go all out. They go crazy. I mean, you've got, and there's this, this wolf man that comes out every so often, and he's electronic, and he starts yelling at you when you walk by. And I'm like, where? This is, I think, I don't think this is a very globally friendly, right? Exactly. I don't know that this is really, do we need to be spending more energy on these things? But anyway, people love decorating, it seems like, for Halloween. Um, I, I'll be honest, that's not Vicky and I. We are just, you know, man, if we can, like, get the yard mode, we're feeling pretty good. We are not big decorators for Halloween. You may be, and that's fine, but that's just not our thing. In fact, I'll let you in on a little secret. I think I told you this earlier last year, maybe. We kind of do the um, <clears throat> hide in the basement and turn out all the lights, right? <laughs> and watch a movie upstairs. <laughs> so we don't have to, you know, I know, you know, leave a bucket of candy for the kids on the outside. I don't know. But it's not really our thing. I, I don't have anything against it. It's just, I don't know, we just don't really do it. Well, look, I can't control what other people do. <laughs> they, they may go all kinds of crazy in their neighborhood. But we do need to make choices for our own home. Now, <laughs> Maybe that seems like a silly kind of thing, right? I mean, we got to make choices about decorations, but there is a deep spiritual truth. And as we come to the end of Joshua, we see Joshua was passing on leadership. He was stepping down. He, was, he had seen and led people through God's provision. But at that moment, he was saying, hey guys, I'm not in control anymore. I can't control your lives anyway. For me and my house, though, this, we're going to serve the Lord. And so today we're looking at this first truth that while we can't control what everybody else does in society, we do need to think about our own house. Look in Joshua chapter 24, what it says. Joshua gathered all of the tribes of Israel to Shechem. He summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, the officials of Israel, and they presented them before God. In the Old Testament, this is called a sacred assembly. It was one where you said, guys, you don't want to miss this. Be here. Be here on this day. This is when we're going to have a discussion. This is going to be important. We do have business meeting today. I don't know if it's a sacred assembly, but we do like to gather at least once a year that we do as a church to celebrate and to do business. They were there to celebrate. They were there to do business. They were there to be God's people being God's people together, God had called them. Joshua sent the word, and they all came. Did they come out of respect for Joshua? I hope so. Did they come out of a commitment to God's people? I hope so. But don't miss this. They came before the Lord. That's what it says in verse 1. This was a sacred assembly. They knew that as they gathered as God's people, the Lord's presence was there. You know that the promise is true. Where two or three are gathered, the Lord is with us. When we gather on Sunday morning together, we are gathering as the Lord's people. We gather to worship the Lord. We gather to proclaim His faithfulness. But we gather knowing that He is with us. Now, <clears throat> Sunday morning, we know that a lot of people aren't at church. Okay, 
People can choose what they want to do. People can choose where they want to be. And other people have work or other people um, have other things that are calling them away and they worship on other days. Romans 14 is clear. It's not like this is the day you have to be at church or this is the time you have to worship. Romans 14 is clear. But I do want to say this. It's important for me and for my house that we have a day that we come every week to be before the Lord and with his people. I'm glad that this time we have it as a congregation and not just say, well, you know, catch a video when you want to, worship when you want to. You can. That's true. But I want to make sure that for me and my house, I have a regular appointment with God, a regular appointment with God's people to be together to worship. As for me and my house, we're going to get there on sacred assembly. We're going to be there because God is there. Well, look in verse 2. Joshua says to the people, Thus says the Lord. This is a proclamation that is not just from Joshua. This is not just Joshua's final words. This was not just what he wanted to tell everybody. Look at what it says. Thus saith the Lord. Thus says the Lord. The God of Israel. God had something to say to his people. And he says, long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates River. Terah, the father of Abraham. Um, the, <clears throat> Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor. And they lived and they served other gods. Wait, what? If you read the Old Testament story, in Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abram, who is later renamed Abraham, who would ultimately be the, the, the father of, of the Jewish nation, of the Israelites. God calls him out. He selects him out to be that first like person of God that would be the one that would begin the people of God, the family of God, the Israelites, that would be this blessing. But he called them to leave his father, to leave his mother, to leave leave his family, to leave his traditions, to even leave his homeland. And we know that that journey of faith, we studied it a while back as a church, we know that that journey of faith is not just um, about Abraham, but it teaches us, it's a symbol to us, that we have been called out to leave behind other things, that we've been called out by God. Where did your journey of faith begin? Where did your journey of faith begin? Don't, don't go there yet, uh, Tim. <laughs> where did your journey of faith begin? Um, uh, where were you called out from? You know, it, it's interesting. God is always at work. I, I, I was talking to a, a young college student this week at Towson University, and he actually attended our big outreach event, and he was asking the question, he said, you know, I understand your call that Jesus is this only way to salvation and that th he's the only way to eternal life. But this young man wrote a very interesting reflection. He said, what is, would it be for me to leave? And if my family didn't believe and my family doesn't come, would that really be heaven if I have left them behind? And I thought, wow, that is the agony of that call, right? That is that, oh my goodness, if I trust in Jesus, if I follow Jesus, that might cause a rift, that might cause a separation, that might cause family tension, that might cause a divide. And to think about that for eternity, that they would be left behind, that they would be left out, shut out from his presence forever. And how could that be heaven to him? He was like, how? I mean, um, what a genuine question. What a heartfelt question. What an agonizing question. And it's one that many face. 
in the hope that we have of a God who pursues, in the hope that we have of a God who pursues each individual, the one who is the shepherd looking after the lost sheep, my response was, yeah, I, I, I'm hurting with you for that. I understand that, call, that, that question. I'm very thankful for my mom. She was the first believer in her family. No, nobody else went to church. Nobody else uh, was involved. But as a little girl, she, there was a church plant down the street, kind of, kind of meeting at a house. And, and as a young kind of child, she went to their children's activities. And as a teenager, she began to go and attend and became a believer and began to take her younger brothers with her. She prayed every day for her mom and for her dad. They didn't want anything to do with it. They weren't very interested. But ultimately, through the ministry of that church and the work of the Holy Spirit and the faithful witness, her parents became her believers. Her brother became a pastor. <laughs> God began to work in our family before I was ever conceived, before I was ever born. God was at work. There's always a first. There's always an Abraham who leaves his father and his mother, who has to leave his territory, who becomes that witness. Because we know from the rest of the story that connections with that family, later Abraham's grandson Jacob would go back to Laban, would go back to his family and be a witness of God to them. The call of God is a call to families, but it's first to a call of individuals because God is pursuing, while he's pursuing families, he works through us individually. Allow God to work in your family. It begins with me and my house. We're going to serve the Lord. So our second truth that we see um, is, is, is truth. That although I, can, I can't control other people, that was our first truth, but here's another truth. Um, that we all have a past that beckons us to return. We all have a past that beckons us to return. They had to leave their, the idols. They had to leave Abraham, left the, the, the gods that they worship beyond the river. But there's a past that beckons us to come back. You, you've seen the, this little cartoon, right? You, you know the Charlie Brown, you know the Charlie Brown special that they would show. At, do they still show that every year on TV? I don't know. Most of us, it's kind of we've converted to like online streaming, dude. But I'm sure you can get it online streaming, too. Uh, the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. And, and you remember the story, right? The story of little Linus, right? Who goes out to wait for the Great Pumpkin every Halloween, and while all the other kids dress up, and while all the other kids go out and get candy, while all the other kids are having fun, Linus keeps going back to that same old great pumpkin patch waiting for a great pumpkin who never appears. There's always the empty way of life is what Peter calls it. You've spent enough time doing what the pagans tend to do. You've spent enough time with the empty way of life that God has redeemed you from. You've spent enough time with the old things, and yet they're always there. They leave you just as empty as the great pumpkin's going to leave Linus every single year, every single episode. Great pumpkin's not showing up. Fulfillment in life is not coming from any other place other than that relationship with God, other than being part of his people, other than being on his mission, other than being who God created you to be. You've experienced it, right? Oh, I'm just going to go over here and fill my life with, figure out what it is. 
self-aggrandizement, trying to make yourself bigger, career, um, relationships. I can't even remember, I think I said that word correctly. Um, your career, um, self-pleasures, whatever they are, and they always leave you empty. They always leave me empty. God has called us away. But there's a past that beckons us to return. Look what it says in verse 3. I took your father Abraham from beyond the river. I led him through the land of Canaan. This is God still talking. I made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac. Verse 4. And to Isaac I gave Jacob and Jacob Esau. And to Esau I gave him that hill country of Sierra to possess. And, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses to the redeem them. Right? I sent Moses. Moses and Aaron, I sent them um, to, uh, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in, the, in their midst, and afterwards I brought you out. What does God do? He rehearses their salvation story. He rehearses their salvation story. While there's a past that calls us back, while there's a past that pulls to us, while there's an empty way of life that surrounds us, one of our ways we combat that, one of the ways we stand strong in temptation is to recite again and again our salvation story. Our truth is we need to review that redemption story often. You know what I'm talking about when I say your redemption story, right? It's the story about how God met you, how you came to faith in Jesus Christ, how you came to that place where you knew that you needed a Savior, you needed that love of God, you knew that God wanted that relationship with you, you understood that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that he rose again, that he promises eternal life, and your life changed. There was great joy, there was excitement because you knew that the love of God was forever put in place by the actions of his son Jesus. And his resurrection guarantees the life that we have in his presence always. What was your salvation story like? Were you sitting in a church and the preacher was preaching and you sort of heard and got convicted and you saw some other person walk down the aisle and go to receive Jesus and you thought, gee, I guess I could do that too. And you realize I I need that now. Could I have that? But you were a little scared, so you went home and you, you asked your parents that night what it meant to follow Jesus. Was that your redemption story? Sounds a lot like mine. That was mine. I, 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 I heard the story being told in church this the other day. Um, uh, of a, two, two of you were sharing your redemption stories. One was talking about how they were at church and they knew that their life was empty and they just found an old Bible. They dusted it off and went to the church down the street. They didn't hear the gospel there, but a sister said, well, come to our church because the gospel is preached, the good news of Jesus. Come, and the life was changed. One of the other ones of you in this church responded, well, let me tell you how it was the Indianapolis Colts that kind of helped bring me to Jesus. <laughs> it wasn't the Indianapolis Colts, but it was the Colts leaving. It was football or something, and, and football was keeping you from Jesus. But man, you prayed that if God would get rid of the Colts, that all of a sudden Jesus would come. I think I've modified the story some, but um, God moved the Colts. God apparently took the Colts out of Baltimore to save one of you. <laughs> I was like, okay, I, I know, you can, you can blame. I'm not going to out him because then you'll be mad. Um, okay, but God moved heaven and earth. He sent his son, Jesus, to save you. How long has it been since you've told a neighbor? I don't know, just rehearsed it with your spouse. Maybe just wrote it down between you and the Lord. Told a grandson or granddaughter. 
How long has it been since you've told the story? We need to tell that story repeatedly. We need to tell that story often because it, is, it gives me great joy and I don't want to go back. I don't want to return. I don't want to allow the empty ways of life to capture me. On my lips, the praise of the Lord needs to be there and some of that praise is tied into the fact that redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We need to tell our story often. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul rehearses the redemption story of everybody else at the Corinth church, and really us too, when he says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. God did a work in your life where he made you clean when you weren't clean, when he has been transforming you, making you holy when you weren't holy. That's being sanctified. When he made you righteous in God's sight, when you, there was nothing righteous about you, God did this work through the gift of Jesus Christ and through the work of the Holy Spirit that's at work in you. If you look over this week, have you been saying, oh yeah, Holy Spirit, come, fill me, or has it been, Ugh. oh yeah, there is a Holy Spirit. <laughs> you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. And for those of us that are continuing to follow Jesus, that's continuing to happen as he makes us holy. Are we yielding to that in a weekly basis? Are we yielding to that on a daily basis? My brothers and sisters, one of the reasons I say I need this on Sunday morning, I need to be, because I need to be reminded daily, weekly, of the work of the redemption story. Let's tell it often. Let's hear it repeatedly. Well, there's another truth in this passage. I told you those old patterns beckon us. Watch this. Those old patterns are ready to jump back in, creep back in. They're ready to come into your life at any moment, at any time. Just like that Halloween candy that's tempting right now. <clears throat> See, I don't buy it early. Because if I do, then it's like, oh yeah, I've got to go out and buy it again, right? <laughs> Don't buy it early, because, okay. Those old temptations are there. Look at it in the passage. Um, <clears throat> verse 13. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. Right? That was what the promise was. That's what we studied here in Joshua. They count the promised land. God conquered nations. They have now settled in their homes. These, they are enjoying the, the, the crops that they didn't plant. They're enjoying the harvest. They are living there in these new cities. He says, you eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Verse 14. You now, therefore... Fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. And then don't miss this. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Wait, what? Did you catch it? It's there in green. I'm highlighting it for you. Here's the people of God under Joshua's leadership seeing the miracles of God, seeing him part the, the, the Jordan River, seeing the walls of Jericho come down, seeing nations defeated before them, seeing God's fulfillment of his promise. And what's going on? Well, every so often they're still pulling out the old gods and you know, bowing down to them. They're still pull, pulling out their old traditions and still honoring those. Hey, well, God's good. We like him. Yeah, keep leading us on. Yeah, Yahweh. Yes, God. We're excited about that. 
Just in case, I don't want to upset my other gods over here. I'm going to worship them too. I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to. I want to make sure I cover all my bases here. I'm still going to hold on to my other beliefs or hold on to my other traditions. I'm still going to go back to that life of slavery, that life of ignorance, that life of darkness, that life of separation for, uh, from what God really has for me. The people were holding on to sin even while they were experiencing the powerful presence of God. I wish that I could say, wow, how could that be? Is anybody else thinking, how could that be? I know how that can be. Called hypocrisy. And unfortunately, I know that all too well. Oh, because I've seen it in other people. Oh, yeah, I have. But I've seen it right here. Or you probably also don't have to look very far. You probably can pull out the mirror right here. You can go to the restroom, find the mirror. You can look right there and find the person who has been hypocritical at times. Where you have seen God's movement. You have seen his presence. You've rejoiced. And all of a sudden, th th there's the sin right there too. There was the unfaithfulness right there too. There was the circumstance that caused you to turn away. And you're, you're, you're amazed at yourself. You don't even understand yourself. The Apostle Paul says it this way. He says in Romans chapter 7, So I see this law at work within me. When I want to do good, evil is right there. Who will save me from this body of death? What a wretched man I am. Thank Christ. He goes on to say that they're therefore, because of this conflict, because this in nature is still there, because of this, this, this hypocrisy that is so often in me, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are justified. You are forgiven. He has taken away the sin. Therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are justified. You are forgiven. He has taken away the sins. But he is wanting us not to, not to continue to live in this state of absolute idolatry, hypocrisy, and just complete, oh my goodness, two-faced, double-mindedness. Put away the gods that you used, to, you used to worship beyond, that your fathers served, and that you used to worship in, in Egypt. Put them away. Joshua knew they were there. Put them away. In the book of Hebrews, the writer says this in the New Testament. We are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but are those who have faith and, 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 and preserve their souls. Let's not shrink back. Let's not be those who return, but let's allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in us, and let's let him fulfill that purpose by putting away those things that so easily entangle. I have a final truth from this passage. While the, the old is always there, there's always new ways to compromise. There's always new ways. Now, why did I put this picture of this poor guy's Halloween costume? He's trying real hard. You know what that is, right? The one-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater. <clears throat> I, I think he's giving it his best shot at that, that creature. Um, uh, you know the song, right? You, you remember, right? Oh, 1968, I think, topped the charts in the U.S. I mean, this thing topped the charts in Sweden. This thing went... Now, you don't know this, but when the song... It came out in some kind of crazy little conversation with the songwriter and wrote it in an hour. This is one that just kind of, you know, and wrote it in an hour. The, the, the author of the song and, and, and the first one who first sang it took it to, to MGM, one of the big music public, and they were like, uh, this isn't the kind of song we do. But then some of the interns liked it 
the, the interns at, at, at MGM. They, they liked the song, and they found, and some of the, the top execs found the interns kind of singing along, and they would listen to it at lunchtime every time. They're like, this is hilarious. We love this. And they were like, oh, maybe we need to rethink releasing this. And how many different artists have released this same song? Famous you know, singers have put this on their album over time. This one that has topped the charts, both in the United States, the United Kingdom, it was topped the Swedish charts for, for, for quite a while. What in the world? How does this song capture the attention of the people? Nothing wrong with the song, but I don't think. I don't really know, know it too well. But the idea is... There's always something from culture that catches our attention. Just figure out, anybody, if I could predict what was going to be the magic, like, special Christmas item of the year, boy, I would be a millionaire, right? Cabbage Patch Kids or Furbies or I don't even know what the the more recent ones are, but you know what I'm talking about, right? The one that is the must-have item that everybody's got to get that Christmas. And then, you know, it was Tickle Me Elmo one time. I mean, who knew it would be Tickle Me Elmo? Why, Why would it be that? And for some reason, those become the ones that sell out and people buy them all up. What captures our attention? It moves from thing to thing to thing. There's always something in culture that's going to say, this is the new way to go. This is the new understanding. This is progress. Now we really understand. Now we've really... There is always something that's going to be beckoning for your attention that if you would give and devote your life to this, boy, then it would be meaningful. Then it would be right. Then it would be true. Brothers and sisters, it's the ancient ways. It's the Lord. He is God. It is the Lord. He is the one who has created a a way to have a relationship with you. It is the Lord. He is the one whose love is, is good. He is faithful. He is the one. Listen to what Joshua says. Here, these people who have walked with God, who've experienced God's provision, both in the wilderness and now in the promised land, these people, Joshua has to say this. If it seems evil in your, eye, in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose this day whom you will serve. Whether it's those old traditions, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river, or here's that new opportunity, the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now dwell. You could pick up their new ideas. You could pick up their cultural uh, uh, beliefs. You could pick up their gods. And let me tell you, the Baal worship of the Canaanites became a definite temptation. It appealed to their sexuality. It appealed to their desire for wealth. It appealed to all of their basest desires. And all of a sudden, the Israelites found themselves again and again into idolatry, into this worship of other gods, and into this trap. The scripture is clear. Romans chapter 12 talks about how in the light of God's mercy, what are we supposed to do? He says, in light of God's mercy, do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't be captured. Don't try to emulate. Don't be conformed to the pattern, to the thought patterns, to the lifestyle patterns of this world. But be transformed by a renewal of your mind. Notice, we need it renewed. It's a constant renewal. The language is clear. Uh, It's not a one-time renewal. It's an ongoing renewal of your mind. That by the testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is his good, acceptable, and perfect will. 
This is what God has called us to, not to be captured, but to be transformed. So Joshua sets it out for the people. Hey, if, if you don't want to serve the Lord and you want to do something else, that's on you. But here's the choice Joshua is making. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Moses, when he stood before the people, told them, God set him before you life and death. Choose life. Joshua isn't saying, just go, hey, I don't care. He's pleading with them. Brothers, choose life. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for me? What does this mean for you? Valley Baptist Church, we've got a calling. We've got a commitment that the Lord is calling us to be. Are we going to be the people that choose to serve the Lord? For our house, for our congregation, the one that God has entrusted to us, that is why business meetings and these things are important, that we need to be yielded to the Holy Spirit. It's not just our opinion so that we all can get to the same place. It's like, Lord, have your way in me, have your way in us. Because let me tell you, we can all get off track. We can all get our priorities askew. We can all kind of want to seek to have our own way and not the Lord's. But I think this has a lot, and that may be our obvious application for today on business meeting day. But let me tell you where I think the real, the real rub comes for most of us. How do we choose for me and my house? How do we choose for me and my house? Now, when we're old, when our kids are young, perhaps, and if you're married and have children, we're able to kind of do some choices for our kids, right? It's like, okay, kids, no, you can only have one piece of Halloween candy a day, unless your child is a saver. Any of you have have children that are savers? I was a saver. I didn't want to eat my Halloween candy because I always thought, well, if I eat it now, I won't have it for later. Does anybody do that? It actually goes bad eventually. Years later, my mom's like, what is going on in your closet here? This is all like, okay, this is all, and she just would throw it all away. And I'm like, but mom, it's my candy. She's like, it's not candy anymore. Let me just tell you, it has turned into something. Okay, so for me in my house, how my parents could set some limits for me. My parents would set the pace for me. Parents, we do need to set some pace for our children. We just do. What you value is going to impact them significantly. My parents were those that served the church, and they served a lot. My dad sometimes would have to like come and see some of my soccer game and then run off to do stuff at the church. He could only make half of it. And, people, and some people think, oh, no, that's not a good way to parent. You've got to show your, your kids that that's absolutely important. Actually, what my dad was showing me was serving the Lord was important too. He wanted to make sure that he knew that he loved me, but he wanted to make sure that I knew that serving the Lord was important. And that was central to our lives. How are you making sure that your children know that serving the Lord is important? Make sure they know they're important, that they're loved, that you love them, but that you have a commitment to Jesus. It was interesting seeing that, that, that model of reading Scripture each day. Those mentors of mine who would get up, and when we would go out camping or whatever, I would get, finally get out of the tent, and they're already off spending time with God with their word. People that were saying, yeah, they, me and my house, this is how we're going to be. How are you being that model for your children, for your grandchildren, for your friends, for your neighbors? How are you setting a pace for the people you have influence over? I think that's how we say me and my house. Of course, it begins with me. It begins with me. What are those commitments that you need to draw a line in the sand about? 
Is there a sin area that you need to say that, that, that this can't be? Is there a habit that you need to say, this is for my discipline, this is for my good. I need to have that daily time with God's Word. I need to have that daily time in prayer. These are things that are important for me. In Galatians chapter 6, it ends this way. Paul says, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. For whatever one sows, that's what he will reap. The one who sows to his flesh, from that flesh will reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Today, I think this calling is clear. Choose life for you and for your family. For some of you, it might mean choosing Jesus today. It might mean that you are not a follower of Christ, and God, you've heard the message of salvation, and you say, I, I, I'm in. I want the message of Jesus. I want that. I want Jesus in my life. For some of you, Maybe it's saying, I want to be part of this church. And God is moving here, and he has put us here. This, this house is supposed to be for our house. For some of you, maybe there's a time of confession. Because you know that, yeah, you've allowed some sin or other things to creep back in. Those old habits, those old ways that have been beckoning you. And for others, it's just a calling to say, you know what? No matter where culture goes, I want to follow the Lord. God, give me wisdom. Let's pray, and the worship team's going to come. You respond as God's calling you. I'll be at the front. You respond. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you that you give us a choice. God, you have been good. You have been faithful. Help us by your spirit. Choose not only for ourselves, but for our house to serve you always. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.